This is UX Radio. Here are your hosts, Laura Federoff and Chris Chandler. Today we're talking with Donna Spencer. Donna is an independent design consultant. With more than 20 years experience, she has expertise across the entire design spectrum, from strategy to delivery and everything in between, and she loves it all. She is designed for a wide range of problems across all kinds of industries, with a particular emphasis on information architecture and complex employee experience problems. Recognized internationally as a leading UX practitioner, Donna is a regular conference speaker and has written five UX-related books. She also created UX Australia. We're really excited to talk with Donna today. Hi, and welcome to UX Radio. This is Laura Federoff. And I'm Chris Chandler. And today we are super excited to bring you an interview with one of our favorite people in the world and noted information architect, Donna Spencer. Thank you for having me. You are two, you two are two of the, hang on, how do I do this? You two are two of my favorite people in the world as well. <laughs> it's so great to have you here today. Donna, you have such an amazing history and background and experience. Can you share with the audience a little bit about how you got started? Oh, so um, I got started in kind of the UX and information architecture uh, worlds. Um, I was working in the Australian Public Service and I was working for our statistical agency. And I was actually kind of just, uh, not just, but I was. responsible for publishing some of the survey outputs. And our uh, web team needed a hand because they uh, were putting all of the statistics on the internet, which meant that that website went from, I don't know, 30,000 pages to a million. And they just needed help. So they, you know, pulled me in to help. And, you know, this was very late 90s. And in being pulled in to help, uh, I not only kind of, you know, we, we we did a lot of migration, but a lot of kind of structuring. When you put that that amount of content on the internet without uh, a lot of thought, it doesn't become very usable. So uh, that was where I first did my first usability test and then spent probably a year or so with them seeing how we could help people to find that statistical information when they didn't already know what they were looking for looking for. So a lot of people, a lot of their audience already knew exactly what they wanted every month, but a lot of people didn't. So we had to figure out how to balance that 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 need of, you know, expert users who who know the catalog and know the numbering system and know the jargon and people who want to know how many people there are in Australia uh, and don't know where that comes from. And you know the the, the really good thing about starting user experience and IA work then was there was there was no resources like we 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 collectively hadn't really invented it yet. Um, usability testing was a known thing, but the rest of it really wasn't. And so um, it was a great timing to learn something and figure out things from scratch uh, and build that body of knowledge collectively, which is entirely different to now. Where if you want to learn a bit about information architecture, you don't throw yourself at a million page website and figure it out you pick up a book, which is great, but it's an entirely different way of learning and like, you know, really actively getting things into your head. 
So I'm glad for that timing. I'm glad that this whole field didn't exist. I'm glad that I was around while we collectively invented all the stuff that uh, now does exist for people. You're so cute. You think people pick up books. Don't they just watch YouTube videos? Yes, <laughs> they do. But, you know, people, there are, there, there are more than, there are more kinds of people. And people buy books. I mean, I, I sometimes get tiny amounts of money into my bank from people buying my books. <laughs> well, speaking of that, the perfect segue, I was going to say to to join that, like you wrote one of the most important early books on an absolute foundational method on mm-hmm. card sorting. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know anybody who's done any amount of card sorting who isn't in love with it as a method. <laughs> and I mean, I feel like I probably overuse it and over rely on it myself. But I'm curious, tell me about the experience and, and sort of like, you know, how, how often do you find yourself doing card sorts these days? Oh, I haven't done a card sort for a long time. Um, but also because, uh, I mean, lo- lots of reasons. I, I, I We probably had this, we probably talked about this at the time. The reason I wrote that book and the reason that um, Lou as a publisher approached me to write it was that I was... I was negative on card sorting. Like I was like, this is not a good technique. Why on earth are we just using it to uh, to create our information architectures? Because people were using it as I'm going to do a card sort and out of that there is the IA. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I talked to people at the time who would do a card sort, their users would kind of make 14 categories and they'd go, well, that's 14 categories we make. And it's like, no, put your brain into this as well. Combine it with the other things that you need to know and then come up with an information architecture. So one of the reasons I don't use it as a technique a lot is because my experience with information architecture and kind of understanding concepts and being good at figuring out what goes together means that I am more likely to put something together and then test it than necessarily involve users in doing those, like doing those groupings. I find, this is not universal, that I can learn just as much about how people think about concepts and what goes together by talking to them, understanding them. So I haven't done card sort for a long time, but also I had a bunch of years where I didn't really do any IA work because I was doing other things like running conferences and <laughs> and building design teams and, you know, other things that didn't involve quite so much IA. I think I've got a I've got a project now that I think we'll do one later in the year because it's a situation where I probably can't just take a guess at it, where I, I do need to ask people more deliberately why things go together. It's interesting when you're talking about card sorting that they would come up with the categories and then say, well, this is IA. Yeah. And of course, at the IA Summit and many other places, we have discussed defining the thing. Like, so I just have to ask, how would you define information architecture? So I think information architecture is all about organizing and structuring content and its relationships. In our defining the thing conversations, we used to get tangled up and people still do this with their roles. Get tangled up with what is the core concept here? And what are the things that I do when I have a job title of a thing? So as somebody with a a job title of information architect, I don't think that exists anymore except for me and a couple of people, 
do other things. We do research, we make prototypes, we, you know, work with different kinds of people, we do screen design, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of stuff that we do. Not all of that is information architecture. So the concept, I think, of information architecture as, a, as an idea is you have some usually large amount of stuff uh, and you need to um, understand the relationships within it and why those relationships are there. Um, you need to figure out how to how you're going to group and present things, and you often need to kind of make like model out um, how those relationships work, and then that often turns into something that we present to the public. Uh, you know, so so then you might do navigation design, but navigation design isn't necessarily only IA as well. Yeah, I think that um, makes I mean makes a lot of sense. We all we all met at the IA conference yeah. in the early part of the century and watched as the term UX sort of yeah. took over, right? That yeah. that that where where now information architecture is seen as a subset, mm. right? As a, a, a lot of the time uh, for UX, um, and I I want to get to like sort of the the question you posed. Uh, when we were talking about having you on the podcast, and I mm-hmm. had a really interesting discussion, which is wh- where has the IA gone? As, as you said, I, I do know, I know one person, maybe two people uh, in my LinkedIn network who have the title of information architect. Mm. Uh, one of them uh, who works here in LA for a big financial services company, mm-hmm. right, spends a lot of time working on metadata. Mm-hmm. And organizing the content uh, for their sites, but I, I do think the the issue of why we don't see that as a job role, as a specific discipline. I mean, it's, it you, you even touched on it, right? That I feel like UX research has emerged as sort yeah. of like a solid discipline, yep. but information architecture has pretty much gone away uh, as a discipline yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, and then and that's why I thought it would be fun to talk about because so sometimes I think okay well how would we bring it back and then I'm like well if it went away did it matter were we making it up when we said that this was like you know the information architecture of a set of, of content was fundamental and it was the blueprint of the service and it, like were we just deluded how could it be how can it be that something that that we we kept saying was super important, just seems to have gone poof. Uh, and so I don't see, like if I see a job advertisement for something like a UX or service designer, rarely will it say knowledge of information architecture is important. If I see people talking about their processes for going through a project, rarely will I see a stage where there is some focus on the structure of the content. So we don't even need to necessarily hire people with information architect titles, but the concept seems to have disappeared. It doesn't get covered in things like bootcamp programs, or it might get covered like super briefly. And I talk with people, you know, designers coming out of boot camps, and they're like, "Oh no, I don't know anything about IA. We covered it in a kind of half a day." And I'm like, "Well, how are they designing anything?" Like how are they? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand how somebody goes into a project and doesn't think about the content, its relationships and structures. Are they just doing teeny right. weeny like teeny weeny projects with teeny weeny content sources, or are they like messing it up? I certainly see a lot of projects that 
seemed to be the project seems to be messed up because nobody thought about like structure, navigation, relationships at the beginning. I certainly see people trying to swap things onto a page without understanding how one page might relate to another. So I'm like, I'm talking myself in a circle here. I'm going, does this really matter? Actually, <laughs> of, course it, of course it matters. It does. Of course it matters. People are just designing really, really. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of what I see happening is people over-designing individual screens. So producing volumes and volumes of high-fidelity individual screens for, for, for something like an application or a site, when actually what would be useful, more useful would be having a really good like sitemap structure model and then saying, okay, we, we, we've got five page types here. We designed the five page types, not the 70 pages. But I'm seeing a lot of just like designers doing 70 pages and then hoping that they will link to each other somehow. That just takes a lot of time. And, and I have seen this happen with a couple of teams I've worked with and I'm like, oh, you, why are you so slow? And then I realised they're so slow because they're designing individual pages. But you just do a model for those pages and you make some templates and then you represent them and you write some, you know, annotations saying this one's slightly different because. But this is how, this is how it seems to be happening everywhere I see. It's almost like we've given up on trying to organise the content. We can't, we can't give up. We can't. It's too important. You have to have that holistic, systematic understanding of what this is, how the pieces fit together, how they make sense. And I think we absolutely can't let it go. Okay. So if we can't let it go, and I'm completely with you because I do not understand how anybody could design something larger than about five pages without abstracting it without thinking of like what it what is what is here what's the model what are the kind of main styles of the pieces what are the main topics we're dealing with I don't know how you design something large without that abstraction layer so yeah of course we can't let it go but I think uh, so I have I have I, I wrote down some some theories some ideas I thought about it so so that was my first one which is we just gave up because it's hard but I think one idea is that, right, like the outputs of IA are not tangible, are not always obvious to the stakeholders, like yeah. how they're adding value to the project. So in, in a way, I could say it's it's sort of like it's, it's analogous to me to uh, the like, why don't people spend time in the problem space of research yeah. instead of the solution space? Yeah. And or or more specifically, right? How come I've I've probably pitched ethnographic research a hundred times and and had one client decide to do it? And I, so so there's like a, a a tenuous relationship, I think, between or understanding between the value of the work and how it relates to everything else. Yeah. And maybe another way of saying that, right, is I I could say to a team, right, like, hey, go ahead and start designing pages. Yeah. And within a couple of weeks, we'd have some pages designed. And if yeah. I say to you, okay, we're going to do the site. So first thing we need to do is work on the conceptual understanding and do some IA, right? The, yeah. the other leaders up the stream, what they, they're not, they're not sure. What am I going to get? Yeah. What do I get? 
Yeah. Right. And like I have I have theories on like why all this has happened and where like, you know, why why did we used to do a thing that we thought was really important and now that thing's gone? And certainly I think one of one of the reasons it's disappeared is because of agile and because of mm. exactly what you said, that focus on tangibility and outputs. Because you can you can write into a two week, you know, sprint planning session, you know, to create uh, like, you know, draft up some wireframes. And at the end of it, somebody who has been given that task can say, I did this thing, here it is, look at these. And then you can uh, talk about them and figure out your next sprint tasks. I, it is less common to say, hmm, let's actually spend what might be more than like, a, you know, a two-week or one-week sprint really understanding what we're working with and doing kind of modelling it out and doing that doing that conceptual thought because it doesn't look like very much so yeah all the time that I mean and this isn't necessarily agile in itself being the problem but the the way that uh, agile has been implemented by a lot of people and organizations to focus on outputs and to focus on being able to identify tasks that can be done in a really like small time frame so you go okay what are my tasks this sprint uh, we have to we have to knock down everything so it's under half a day. I'm like, hmm, I kind of need like four or five days just to think about this, to like dive in deep into the content and to understand it and to, to you know, swim around in it and figure out like what are the relationships. But you can't write that on a ticket that um, has a, you know, a story size of medium. So yeah. I think that's a why. It uh, doesn't mean that, again, it's, it's this, that the, the, the hard thinking is unimportant, but I can see why teams have lost some of that focus on planning. Well, to your point, Chris, around the tangibility of what you're providing to the client, like I have been in numerous uh, scenarios where we go over the sitemap first with mm -hmm. the quizzical brow of the client. Yeah. And then when we show them the prototype, they're like, yes, I get it now. Yeah. And so it, it does seem like it's a hard thing for them to grasp and to understand. Mm. And that just means that we need to be better at helping people think conceptually when they do need to think conceptually mm -hmm. because uh, if, 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 you, if you can't help people think conceptually and they don't know what to think about and you're showing them a sitemap and they're like, oh, yeah, I can see some boxes with words in them, but they don't know how, how that's going to translate into anything, they will make decisions that then have to get unmade later on when they finally understand it. And certainly that is something that I mean, it's hard to get people to think conceptually when they want to see the screens but if you make the screens first and then try to kind of shoehorn some structure into them the project won't work the client might be like yeah I get it there's a navigation bar but they still don't they can't see the relationship and the complexities under the surface they still might need to know about because it's going to later on cause um, either like difficulties in management of content, difficulties in working with it, or difficulties in actually getting the project built. Because like that's where things can fall apart if you haven't done your planning up front, is you go to try to like actually do a technical build, which needs structure. Uh, it needs structure to, and rules around it, not just a pile of screens with a navigation bar on them. And so it can trip over in that part of the project if you haven't thought about it at the beginning. Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah, obviously we've all we've all seen that all the time, and and I do. I mean, I think that again, it's it's hard to 
quantify that value in advance and explain. I, mean, I, I think we touched on a couple things there. Always the idea of thinking about the website or or your app uh, abstractly, right? That's an obvious one where we professionals, right, we're used to, mm. you know, sort of like manage to keep all the different layers. I go back to that Jesse James Garrett yeah. diagram, right? Like we we can see like six different abstract pieces and kind of squint at it and, and understand how that you know will eventually manifest uh, as an experience. And I definitely think a, a lot of the, the stakeholders don't have that experience and so have a hard time valuing it. I have a, another maybe, I'm curious what you two think of, uh, do you think some has some of this work gone to the content strategists? Definitely some of this work has gone to the content strategists. Definitely. Like, because they're the people wrangling large amounts of content. So definitely some of that work's gone there. And definitely they talk about information architecture. When I look at, you know, the way that that field writes and talks about their work, I don't, I don't always see a lot of kind of structural thought. I see a lot around like, you know, brand and maintenance and content planning for the future. And I don't want to say it doesn't get done because like definitely some of the work is happening is happening in there. Well, or the sort of micro content, right? Is the like, hey, yeah. how are we going to plan to put pieces of content across different levels, mm. right? And and yeah. and different experiences. But I but I do agree that it doesn't seem to be an emphasis or a lot of work on that high level, the conceptual relationships. I'm curious, Donna, how do you approach that? How do I approach it on projects? Yes. <laughs> I approach it in the same way that I did 15 to 20 years ago. I, I do the work in the same kind of way. I still I say, no, we're, we're going to, I'm going to spend some time understanding this, modelling the relationships, making sure that we understand what goes with what and why and, you know, and how this is all hooked up. And I also put careful time uh, into making sure that people who need to make decisions around it actually understand it. So not just say, here's a sitemap, we're going to do a next thing, but making sure that decision makers really understand what the consequences are. Uh, and so uh, on a project I'm working on at the moment, uh, which it has a big complex classification that underpins it, um, it's actually taken, I've needed to spend quite a lot of effort and time just helping people understand both how important this thing is and what they need to think about before they make decisions uh, on um, what goes together and why. So not only to, like what are the decisions, but how do you need to think about this? This is homework for meetings. Read these things and set aside time in your calendar to do this before you walk into a meeting because you can't, you won't be able to absorb it and approve it at the time. Um, so I do things like that so that we make good kind of structural decisions early on that we won't have to try to undo later on. Uh, when we start getting in, into complex work, but look, I do. I work on complex projects as well, and not everybody does this. Not everybody needs uh, something like that level of of difficulty to to be dealt with. If we're working on things that are a lot smaller, then those you know th those structural decisions aren't as critical. I don't know if that's if that answered your question. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, I, I had a follow up question, which is uh, you said something at like the homework before the meetings. Are you talking about, hey, I've produced a document that explains to you the conceptual, or are you saying, hey, go read this article I wrote 10 years ago no. online? 
Oh, well, actually, occasionally I do that. <laughs> um, I tell you, the, th- the time when I really say, go read this article I wrote a really long time ago, is I wrote an article called Information Seeking Behaviours and How to Design for Them. And in that, I explained uh, like known item information seeking and exploratory information seeking. I also talked about refindability and oh, when you don't know what you need to know. But um, really, I, I, a lot of times when people say things like, why do we need to do any of this? Can't we just use search? Or why do we actually need to give, give people a way of browsing through this information? Um, I will send them to that because it's a really good resource for, for the difference between I already know exactly what I need and I can dive in and grab the thing I need because I already know it and I know where to go and I know what to call it. And the I've got to figure out this thing that I don't know anything about. Um, and I my, my 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 even my starter knowledge isn't enough to give me some terminology or anything to to go with. So I point at, I point at old things, but usually on homework for meetings or for important decisions. Uh, I will usually like write up stuff for people, you know, write and illustrate and do diagrams so that, and look, I've just written a, a book on presenting design work. So all of this goes together, um, helping people get from where they are to where they need to be to uh, like approve something or make a decision. That's actually the designer's work to do the education work, to help them understand what matters and what to think about and how to think about it. So that when people go into a situation where they need to give feedback or actually make a decision, that they're making the decision on, um, you know, with, with all the resources that they need. And this, is, I think, is one of the things that derails projects and that designers don't always do well is bring their clients along on the journey in such a way that when decisions get made, they get made with really good understanding and knowledge and all the background that they need. So that a good decision gets made and it doesn't get have to get reversed later on because people all of a sudden go, oh, is that what that meant? That sounds like an amazing book. It's really super skinny. It's uh, it's like it's a thousand words. It's published by a book apart. You can read it in uh, in in the non-existent plane rides that we don't do anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can read it uh, on your couch on your in your couch commute. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, how can we be better advocates of building that into the agile process? The thing, the the curious thing about, uh, like, a a lot of this, and again, something I've seen in working with, like, growing designers, is if you don't understand it yourself, and you don't really know what needs to be done, because you haven't experienced or you haven't worked on something this hard or you haven't had success, uh, like a successful version of really anything in the past. Like if you haven't, if you haven't run a successful ethnographic study, then it's going to be hard to convince anybody that an ethnographic study is a important thing to do. If you haven't uh, run a successful, complex piece of information architecture work, then convincing people uh, early on in an agile process isn't going to to work. So we need to understand our work well. Like we need to understand what needs to be done, what we're good at, what our um, uh, like what our scope even is. And I think uh, I see a lot of people who don't know 
how to communicate their value and what they can do. So there's a chicken and egg with that. You need the experience in, in actually, you know, understanding the work so that you can explain the work. And I suspect that that chicken and egg comes by doing like small pieces and growing into bigger, but not saying, oh, I've heard that there's this concept of this thing that we need to do. I think we're going to need a chunk of time at the beginning, but I can't really explain it very well because I actually don't understand it myself. That's another part of the chicken and the egg problem, right? Since we're not teaching it well, right? Yeah. We don't, yeah. Yeah, if we're not teaching it well, then people also don't understand how they would be able to tackle. Because, you know, people can figure out the work that we've got resources and they can read books, articles, YouTube videos on how do I actually do a thing, right? But if you don't understand the thing before you do it, it's hard to say, you know, in a, in a planning session, I need this amount of time to do this thing. And it's going to look like this is the way I'm going to do it and this is what's going to come out of it. If you don't have that experience, it is hard to do that. And that's why when, I, when people ask me how I do it, I'm like, well, I, I know how to do this. So I know for an individual project what's needed because I have the experience. I'm like, okay, this one's really complex. These are going to be the, the things we're going to trip over. Let's plan not to trip over them. But it's experience that gives me that. It's no kind of abstract set of rules. But, yeah, if we're not teaching anybody that, there's another thing that's happening, which is the recency kind of effect of resources. And, you know, and Google has, Google's broken this. We collectively and those of us who have been in our field for a long time built a really good resource base. There are very good books and there are very good articles. But nobody falls over them anymore and they don't return in search. I went looking for the other day some articles. I was just um, looking for some stuff on FAQs. I was probably trying to just shortcut a thing and send a client something on why FAQs aren't very good. And I know that I've written stuff and I know that other people have written stuff about FAQs and why we shouldn't use them because they're really not organising information. They're like they're, they're anti-IA. Um, that's usually my perspective and I, I, was, uh, I was trying to find an article. Uh, and when I went to search for it, all I was finding were recent articles that clearly have been written only for search engine optimization and for inward search. And they are poor quality, but they're recent, so they appear. So we know that there's a bunch of resources. We know there's books. We know that a lot of this has been done, but people aren't falling over it to learn it to then even do it. So not even, like, even if, even though this isn't, this topic isn't necessarily taught officially in boot camps, people also aren't necessarily stumbling across it because the internet is awash with recent poor quality content, <laughs> a lot of it written by those poor people in boot camps because they've been told to write some medium articles as part of their assignments. And so the, it, the internet's full of people who have written articles on things they didn't know about as assignment topics. And that's now our resource base. That's incredible. I, I was, I mean, what an insight, Donna. I, I was going to say, I was going to mention Google before as one of the reasons why IA isn't as popular. And you, you alluded to it too, right? Why can't we just use search? So yeah. I do think, right, the idea of like a search engine that actually works, which I'll yeah. you know, give Google, the old Google that credit, right? Yeah. Certainly changed. I mean, I'm one of the people, right? I have not created a subfolder in my email in over a decade. I, right. I literally do no yeah. organizing of email. 
yeah. right? Because I just assume I'm going to use Gmail and I'm, I'm going to search and find it. But I that's love... a known item. That's known 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 item search behavior. You're like, oh, I know I've got a thing in there. That's not that exploratory. I need to figure out something I don't know. I need to figure out what, like what am I meant to do on this project? You can't just search for that. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up known item searching again, because I think if there is one concept that I probably have said right and explained to clients mm-hmm. more often over the last decade, that's that is pure information architecture is that one. Right, that that yeah. simple difference between someone who knows what they're looking for and just needs help finding it, versus someone who doesn't know what they're looking for, like yeah. that's probably the most powerful explanation of like now you get it, right? Of like what yeah. those that difference is and and why that's important. And uh, and again, I think we we will all say right a legacy. People are surprised to know about the legacy of library science in yeah. the field of UX. Right. Mm. And, and always surprised to learn that, like, oh, hey, there were librarians who were dealing with this exact problem. How do I find something either when I know, you know, I know what I'm looking for and you as the library know that you have it. So how do I put those two things together? And yeah. the, the the non-exploratory search. Mm. But also to layer in the fact that we've now also got 15 years of people sort of scamming the Google algorithm. And yeah. all of the learning that's gone into, right, how do I do keywords and push my topics? And I mean, this this basically, it's a joke in the sort of like cooking recipe world. Oh, my God. So how every recipe now has got, you know, it's like clickbait headline, right? Like some pithy thing, eight screens of story. Yeah, about, I know. And then where is the actual recipe? <laughs> how long do i cook these chickpeas for i can't yeah. remember if it's half an hour or an hour and a half yes and you have to it, it's right in the bottom of the thing somewhere yeah that was that was what i had to do two days ago they were, my how did they were turn all, out they turned out great because i you know caught them in time <laughs> the, the the recipe that i found told me to cook them for an hour and a half and luckily i tasted them after 40 minutes and i'm like oh they were done mm. but yeah those reds those recipes are yes uh, yes uh, well, where do you think IA is going next? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, that's what I've kind of been musing. This is why I kept thinking, does it matter? Like if it went away, did that matter that it went away? Because how would we bring it back? And if we've got a large pool of designers who don't know really anything about like the planning and structuring of content, and they're the ones who are then describing to their clients how a project will run. And they're the ones who then get, you know, promoted into more senior positions and describe how the projects will run. And then the way projects run is by people making lots and lots and lots and lots of screens. I just find UX is really slow and expensive now compared to um, being able to kind of make a model and some templates. It's just, it's getting big and slow and expensive. And all, I think I think all of that could be, like it could be more efficient with a bit of IA thrown in. I noticed that Lou Rosenfeld, um, I don't know if it's part of one of his conferences, um, somebody's doing a workshop on like designing with like pieces and templates rather than designing whole screens. And the premise of this workshop, when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking. 
uh, like everything's kind of blown out and got inefficient. But if you can, you know, if you can abstract, you can be more efficient in your work. I just don't know. I just don't know where 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 this is all going to end up, and if it matters. I mean, if people are happily throwing that kind of money at designers on projects to create lots of screens and they've funded it, then maybe my wish that, you know, things would be more efficient is irrelevant. I certainly know where I'm going and that is more working with kind of folks in data science to merge manual kind of classification methods and, you know, thoughts around how, you know, categories, concepts, structures work um, with automated approaches. That's certainly where I've been focusing and what I've been working on, and I think I'll will continue, uh, you know, individually. That will be kind of my focus and work. I like it; it works well. I'm good at the data science stuff because I uh, am good at math and things, which is not um, necessarily what most information architecture kind of people would be like. So I'm just kind of doing my thing that works for me, <sighs> and um, and you know, thinking and talking. You hit on another interesting angle which I, I which you brought up for me there which is i think that structuring the concepts is often a larger problem than the online experience that you're trying to build yeah in that way right like we all know mm. and, it, and it's talked about a lot the way that design and product design right can be sort of subversive in an organization yeah and kind of bring things up that they're or being user centered, right. Can sort of like customer centered can like really shine a light on things internally that people maybe don't want to talk about. And I, I think that that is like the, what makes the IA hard is exactly that, right. To get that. It's one thing mm-hmm. to create the system of relationships between concepts and, and, and we focus a lot in this conversation about how, how you know how that relates into a design process for an experience that a customer is going to have, but it also directly relates back up to our technical partners and where is that data coming yeah. from and how yeah. is it structured and how is it merged and managed? And I think that that is something that is completely just escapes the sort of like understanding of, mm. of that role, right? Like, hey, I'm just trying to figure out how to get customers to the right product detail page on my website what do you mean I have to have a data governance commission right? <laughs> that is, that is, you know, managing an entire data team on the back end, right? Like people have a hard time putting those things together. Yeah. So Donna, in thinking about design leaders, what advice would you give them to incorporate IA into their process? What the advice I would give them is to, I don't know how, I don't quite know how they, I mean, again, people are varied and different with different experiences. Something that design leaders can and should be looking at is how they can help their teams understand that abstraction layer, and how can they how can they help their teams understand and work with models and templates and representations of things uh, rather than working directly on artifacts. So, as a design leader a team leader, somebody coaching designers, helping them understand that if they design a, you know, a template for a thing, then that that, that can represent a lot of um, things that they don't need to then like draw out every single thing, which also then means that, that design leaders need to be able to understand that value of abstraction and modelling as well. 
And I don't know if there's super good resources around for like where you would kind of learn about that necessarily. I think even our a lot of our resources are still fairly practical as well. Except for your books, of course. But even they're fairly practical. I mean, they're practical. They're like do this thing. Um, they're not necessarily, oh, I know the one that really probably is uh, useful at teaching abstraction, and that's Stephen Anderson and Carl Fast's book, The Name Escapes Me. It's about understanding and modelling and thinking. We can put it in the show notes. We can, yeah, we can, we can grab that out later. Yeah, look, it's a hard question because I'm still musing on what the problem is. So I don't know what the solution is, and I don't know if the problem is even a problem or if it's just something that bothers me. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I mean, I love what you said there. I mean, I do think, right, that like there's so much emphasis in the sort of design ops world, right? Like, what is the design system? And again, it's very artifact focused, right? It's all yeah. about workflow and pipeline and how do I make sure that the different people have access to the right thing and we're not reinventing the wheel. Mm. But what you're talking about is in order to really make that work, and, it, and it's like anything else, people need to have a conceptual understanding of why they're doing it that way and yeah. how those pieces relate to each other. There's not, that's at a level up that is abstracted that is mm. about the model. And I think that is extremely good advice to leaders, right? Which is you need to share and figure out how to uh, deepen the conceptual understanding of mm. why you're doing that, how the pieces relate to each other at an abstract level, not just the, hey, how does somebody update a design component in React to yeah. make sure that it, we always have the right, you know, font on the mm. page? Yeah. Which, now let me ask you another question, uh, which is, what, what would you like your legacy to be in our field, Donna? Look, I've already built some chunk of my legacy, and that is producing very practical you know, resources, books, articles, and all the workshops that I have taught over time at Insight Conferences. I have, I have done a chunk of that legacy already in teaching people the things that I think matter around this topic. So uh, I've built some, le- some amount of legacy already, I hope. I hope that uh, that good work doesn't get disappeared and ignored just because it feels like it's old because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things that I've done and work I've contributed is evergreen. So I hope it, dis- I hope it doesn't disappear. Uh, I'm not up for kind of rewriting a book just because it has a date on the cover that was a while ago. It's uh, <laughs> Rewriting a book is a lot of effort. And my forward legacy, I, I, I hope to continue to help people understand how to kind of do this more abstract, uh, level of work and how to build like that kind of modeling and abstraction and thinking into our projects so that we ultimately, you know, build things better, more efficiently, effectively. And, and, and I hope my legacy is also that I was mostly nice to people. Yes. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you both. UX Radio is produced by Laura Federoff and Chris Chandler. If you want more UX Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play or go to ux-radio.com where you'll find podcasts, resources, and more.
This episode is brought to you by Philosophy. Philosophy helps entrepreneurs and organizations validate and develop their promising ideas through agile design, rapid prototyping, and software craftsmanship. To learn more, visit philosophy.is.